Where do we all typically go when we need a question answered? Where do you go? When you need a question answered, a quick question, where do you go? Typically on your phone. What do you do? You Google it, right? Quick, quick, quick question, you want an answer, you jump to your phone and you Google it. Google processes over 8.5 billion searches a day. That's, that's more than humans on the planet Earth. They do that every single day. I think it was like 89 uh, uh, billion processes that they do a month. So they do, this, this is a massive tool, the massive search engine where people go to it because they trust it to provide them the answers that they need. People use Google all the time. I use Google all the time. I think to myself, oh, I need a recipe. What, do, what should I cook for dinner tonight? You know, I asked Kristen, what should we cook for dinner? Well, let's Google it. Who was the 13th president of the United States? Do you know? I don't know. I'll check Google. How can I get a girlfriend? Diego usually Googles. I don't know if they'll have an answer for you, buddy, but no, I'm just kidding. They have an answer for everything. They probably have an answer even for you, Diego. I even trust Google more than myself. I'll make a claim in a conversation, and then I'm like, is that true? And I quickly go to Google to fact check myself. I'm like, okay, well, usually I'm wrong. But I go back, and I say, okay, great. I'm good. We're good. We're, we're in the clear. I've made my claim. It's, it's trustworthy. Why? Because we trust this tool. We trust that it will give us the answers that we need. We fully trust that our question can be answered with this simple search engine. I mean, trust is such an important thing, a vital thing in the Christian life. It's absolutely necessary for the Christian to trust, not in their friends, right? The world's going to tell you all the wrong things. Not to trust in themselves, because you're probably not thinking the right thing. But to fully submit your trust to God and the benefits that come from doing that. And here's the thing, if you follow your own wisdom and neglect to trust God, you're going to run into all types of problems, trouble in your life. In Proverbs 3, we see this passage, Proverbs 3 verses, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8, we see this passage of a father giving instruction to a son, a father giving this practical wisdom to a son. But the idea is it's kind of like God giving instruction to us. And before I dive into this passage, I need to give you a little bit of background on what Proverbs is all about. Like, we've been talking about Proverbs and the wisdom of Proverbs. There's always an issue with, uh, or there's this contrast with wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom of the world, wisdom of God, right? But as we look at this text, I want you to have this context in mind that Proverbs is general principles, right? It's not always like, hey, if you do this, this happens, It's not always this idea of emphatic promise. A lot of times it's this underlying principle that we can draw out of the text. So look with me at Proverbs 3, 1 through 8. It helps us see the benefits of trusting God completely. And what you'll find is four admonitions, four warnings that we see, four commands, if you will, followed by the promises or the, uh, the blessings that God will generally provide to those who obey these commands. So let's look at verse 1 together. I'll read all the way through. It says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That's the first admonition. 
in the first blessing. Second, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Okay, we see the second command, the second admonition, followed by the second blessing. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know this passage. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There we see the third and fourth admonition, followed by the third and fourth blessing. Now, this is not some type of health and wealth prosperity gospel that I'm about to preach to you. And at the end of this, you may be uh, tempted to think like, oh, what? I can manipulate God into do- giving me these good things and blessing me by just obeying him? I, I don't, you're going to be tempted to think that when I'm preaching this sermon, but that's not what we're going for here. That's not what this passage is teaching. But what it is teaching is that there are practical benefits to following God. There are practical benefits to trusting God completely. There are blessings to believing in God, trusting him, and following him. And that's what Proverbs 3 is getting at. Under your, uh, on your outline, you see, what do you see there? You see the, uh, the general principle, the God's command for you and God's general principle. So God's command for you on the left side, that's what we all have to do. That's God's command. That's, that's something that we all need to obey. And if we don't, there's consequences for that. However, on the other side, I specifically use the word general, right? This is what God usually does when we obey him, right? This is what God usually does when I submit to this command and I follow this command and I follow God. That's the idea throughout this, uh, this sermon. I just want you to have that in mind as you're filtering through the things that we talk about today and as you're filtering through the points that we have listed on this outline for you. Because here's the thing, if if that were true. If it were true that if I do this, God's going to bless me. If it were true, if I, I obey God's command, then he's going to bless me and give me these good things all the time, 100% of the time. Well, then Job is a, we you know, tear that out of the Bible, right? I mean, we're in the DBR right now. Job is in the DBR. We're reading it right now. And you see the account of Job where he's losing his family, right? He's losing his wealth. He's losing his health. And this is one of the most righteous men on earth. So clearly, it's not a 100% all the time promise that if you do the things that God's commanding you to do, that he's going to give you this amazing blessing all the time. That's not what we're talking about. But it's a general principle that, hey, if you obey God, you're going to have a more fulfilled, more wholesome, more full life. And that's what I want you to discover with me this morning. When we're reading this text and we're going through these points, I want you to discover that living by God's rules, it's better for you. Living by God's rules overall in general is a better way to live. You're going to lead to a more wholesome, more full, more peaceful life in a lot of ways. Look back at verses 1 and 2 to grab our first command, our first admonition here. Verse 1 and 2 says this. My son, do not forget my teaching. So when you think about forget in the Old Testament, it's, it's not just remembering about the things that God says to do. It's also doing the things God tells you to do, right? Remembering or not forgetting is, is 
is knowing the command and then doing the command. And he goes on to say that, but let your heart keep my commandments, right? So your heart is like the, the central action, um, you know, place where you, where you do all your actions from your heart. Verse 2, for length of days, this is the blessing, right? For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. When you think about that word peace, that word peace can mean a variety of things, and it's translated in many ways. And it can mean wholesome. It can mean full. It can mean, um, it can mean peace as well. So here we find that first command. So God's command for you, God's general principle. Point number one, obey God completely, live a long and full life. Obey God completely, live a long and full life. Obeying God completely. What does that look like in the life of a Christian? What does that look like for you in your day-to-day business? It's more, like I said, than just intellectual assent to the truth. It's more than reading the Bible and saying, I agree with this. It's more than just saying, yep, I trust this. This is what I believe. But instead, it's flipping it to, no, this is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what I'm learning from Scripture, and I'm going to apply it into my life. It's knowing and doing. And that means every aspect of your life, right? You think about your friends. You think about your, the things that you consume. You think about how you spend your time and your resources and your money and the things that you do on the weekends. Everything is in submission to God. Psalm 119, 1 through 3 Psalm 119, 1 through 3, you don't have to turn there, but listen to this. Blessed or happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, right? So you're walking, you're doing, you're not just knowing what God's word says is good and right and true and and assenting to that and believing that. It's actually doing the things that God says is right and true and good. It goes on. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. So it's a turning away from evil, pursuing what God says is true, believing that, and then also doing that. And completely everything. So when you come across something in Scripture or you hear a sermon or you listen to your leader or your parents and they're like, look, this is what the Bible says about this matter. You're actively willing to, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put that into my life. I'm going to put that into practice. There's something I really don't like doing often. And I think we're in good company here when we think about doing this thing. And it's going to the dentist. Now, who likes going to the dentist? I knew Alexandra was going to raise her hand. Alexandra Fabares. So like three of you, right? Four of you? Okay. I won't disparage you, but you're just wrong. You're just wrong, you know. The dentist is terrible. It's the worst. They pick at your gums and they say, hey, you're not flossing. And it's like, oh, you just poked at my gums for an hour and no wonder they're bleeding, right? So when you're at the dentist, every time you're there, they ask you the same questions. They say, how many times are you brushing? Are you flossing? You know, are you drinking soda? Are you eating candy? You know, and they're checking your teeth. And it seems like every single time I go, I mean, whether I'm doing everything right or wrong, it's always like, oh, you got some problems with your teeth, right? There's always some issue. But the one thing that people always think is like kind of optional, 
is flossing, right? It's almost like we all kind of agree, like, oh, yeah, I'll do flossing later, or maybe I'll do it once, or maybe I'll do it in a week or a month or a year. I don't know. But one time I was at the dentist, and the dentist said, hey, man, you need to floss. Your teeth are going to fall out by the time you're 50 years old. Okay, well, that got me. And he was, he was serious. He was like, your teeth will fall out if you don't floss. So I was like, okay, I'm going to stop picking and choosing what I obey my dent- when my dentist tells me to do things. I'm going to listen to every single thing he says because I don't want my teeth to fall out. I don't want to run into these problems. So I trusted him. And it's funny how we don't take a dentist serious as we should. We obey some things, right, but we don't obey everything that the dentist says. Well, of course, dentists are fallible, but God's not fallible, right? Everything that God says, we ought to obey, put into practice. Every single little uh, word that he has in Scripture is something that we as Christians have to obey. We have to follow. Think about these examples from Scripture. These examples from Scripture of people who forgot God's commands, right? We're thinking about verse 1 where it says, but let your heart keep my commandments. Do not forget them. Do not forget my teaching. Well, there's people in the Bible that forget the commandments of God. You think about Acts 5, right? Another, another story we just read in our DVR, Acts 5, it's uh, verses 1 through 11. I won't go there, but just to summarize, it's the account of Ananias and Sapphira. Right? And Ananias and Sapphira, if you know the story, what they did was instead of telling the truth to the apostles, they lied about the amount of money they got when they sold their property. And what happened? They died. Right? Not to say that that's going to happen to you right now, but it should strike this, this fear of God in you. Right? It should cause this, this idea of, I'm going to obey this God who's holy and powerful. Or Leviticus 10, 1 to 2 Leviticus 10, 1 to 2, we have Aaron's sons, the account of Aaron's sons giving unauthorized fire on the altar. It says this, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. They were disobedient to God. They're obedient to him in in many other ways, but not completely, not fully. But on the flip side, of course, obedience to God can bring peace for those people, can bring peace to those who obey. obey. Write down Psalm 119, 165. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble great peace of those who love your law. So now that we're taking it to the next level where it's not just agreeing that you should do it, doing it, but you want to do it. You desire to do it. When you read God's word, you say, okay, what am I doing wrong? What can I change today for your glory, God? You, you, you love God's commandments. Examples of what a long and full life look like, right? Because when we look at our text, we see this for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you, a full life, a wholesome life. What does that look like? Well, when you obey God's commands, right? When you obey God's command to obey your parents, well, you make wiser decisions, right? Because they know what is good. They know what is good for you. You live a longer life. Okay, what are you talking about? Well, 
Have your parents ever told you to wear your seatbelt in the car? You don't want to, but your parents tell you to. Okay, I'm going to do that. Well, you prevent dying <laughs> in that way. You know, there's a lot of, like, we're not in this issue, but, you know, your parents tell you, hey, don't join a gang. Don't hang out with the wrong people, right? Prevents you from dying in that way. I mean, there's a lot of ways, practically, that you're obeying your parents can keep you to live a long life. Obeying God with your finances. Obeying God with your resources. Being a financially responsible. I know a lot of you guys don't have jobs, but just the money that you get even from, you know, your birthday or holidays or whatever it may be, managing that money well, giving to God first and then using it in a wise way. It leads to good stewardship. It leads to you being better with your money in the future, making wiser decisions financially in the future. Or perhaps obeying God in choosing the right influences in your life. We talk a lot about that from the pulpit here at True North. And if you make the right decisions with friends that you hang out with, you're going to have stronger relationships with people in the future, stronger relationships with people right now. You're going to be influenced in ways that maybe, uh, in good ways, that you maybe wouldn't be influenced if you chose the wrong people to hang out with. And God calls us to choose the right people to hang out with. Obeying God with your sexual purity, right? Being sexually pure in mind and in action. Well, you're going to enjoy a much better experience and relationship with your future spouse. Obeying God with your emotions, anger, bitterness, pride. Well, you're going to have less problems in your social life. You're not going to have arguments with friends. You're not going to have arguments with your, with your parents. So when you are self-controlled and you have those things under control. So you're, t you're thinking to me, you know, or you've heard this before, God is a, a cosmic killjoy. God just doesn't want me to have fun. God just wants me to you know, obey him and be miserable. Is that what God wants? Is that what God's telling you to do? Is that what I'm saying when I list out these things of, of, of practical ways to obey God, that I'm saying, yep, God wants you to be miserable and follow him and, and, and hate your life? Well, absolutely not. That can't be further from the truth. What I'm trying to show you from Scripture and what God wants for you is, is that, look, the way that I've established the way to live is the best way to live. God has established the right way to live, the best way to live for every single one of us. And it's our fault when we turn away. We cross our arms when we turn away from God's path and we say, oh God, this is your fault. No, in fact, it's us. It's our sin that causes us to have these problems. God does, it can't be further from the truth. God's commands are blessings. They're not burdens to you. These, these strictures, these uh, guidelines, these commands that he has for you in life, they're not meant to be a burden. They're meant to be a blessing to you. And when you submit to them, you do them, you follow them, your life is better. That's what the text is talking about here. The second command we see comes from verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. Look back at your text with me. Verses 3 and 4. Proverbs 3. It says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. So steadfast love and faithfulness. This is, a, in the Old Testament, it's, God's described in this way a lot. There's steadfast love and faithful God. 
Well, steadfast love can also mean loyalty. Like that's kind of the idea that we're talking about here, this uh, loyalty of God, loyal love to God and faithfulness, commitment to God and continual commitment to God. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, which we don't find outside the Proverbs. I mean, this is a great image of you're keeping it close to you, close to your chest. So you will find favor and good success. Better translation of success, I think, is repute, reputation, right? You have a good name, good understanding. People have a good understanding of you. They think highly of you, right? That's what we're talking about here when you're faithful to God. He goes on, in the sight of God and man. So you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Point number two, write it down this way. Remain loyal to God, gain a good reputation. Remain loyal to God, gain a good reputation. And this seems to scream, wait, but I thought we are going to be persecuted for the faith. Yeah, well, that's a different sermon. That's not what we're talking about. Good reputation saying good repute, because if you obey God and you're faithful to him and you don't have idols before you, which we'll get into, then you'll have a, a good name because you're representing good moral behavior. What animal comes to mind to you when you consider something that's loyal? Something that's loyal? You can answer. There you go. Dog. Dog. Pastor John yesterday was just hating on dogs, man, but... You know what? And I quote, I'll say that. I will share with this with you. We all, we're all ministry. We love each other. Pastor John said, if there's a dog in my house, I died. Because he, would be, he wouldn't be caught dead without a dog. Or with a dog. Dogs, though, are so loyal. I have a dog. I've had a dog for 11 years. I love him so, so much. He's been so loyal to me. Well, there's a story about this dog. Maybe you're familiar with it. His name is Hachi. And Hachi is a dog from Tokyo back in the 1900s, the early 1900s. And Hachi would, was, had a great relationship with his owner. And his owner would take Hachi to the train station every single day. They'd walk together. And then Hachi would wait for him as he went on the train, he went to work, and he'd wait for him, kind of hang out at the train station until his owner came back to see him. Well, it's sad. One day, you know, he goes to the train station, and the owner doesn't come back. Well, Hachi didn't know because the owner had a brain hemorrhage and died. So Hachi was very sad about that. Hachi, all the, all the people knew, but of course it's a dog. You can't explain to a dog that your owner died. But what Hachi did was every single day, he'd go to the train station at the same time in the morning, and he'd wait there for his owner all day. And his owner wouldn't come back, obviously. Hachi did this for nine years. Nine years every single day which is very sad. <laughs> but the point is, is that Hachi was so loyal. And in fact, the whole city that was in there in Tokyo, they loved Hachi until the day he died. And then when he died, guess what they did? They put up a statue for Hachi. Because they're like, this is a, a symbol, a, a pure symbol of loyalty. This is a dog who was so loyal to his owner that he was there every single day. Hachi symbolized true loyalty. Every single one of us, all of us, every single person, whether you're a Christian or not, is called to be faithful to God. It's called to be loyal to God. And as Christians, we can never forsake that. We can never forsake him. 
Forsaking God looks like pursuing things that aren't God. Looks like putting things before God. That's called idolatry. It's called placing something in the position of God. What are the idols in your life? What are the things that you're putting before the Lord? Perhaps it's your sport. It's okay to love your sport. It's okay to want to be in sports. It's okay to play a sport. But if your sport is taking precedent over God, you got an idol in your life. If going to practice or making varsity means missing church or missing small groups or missing fellowship opportunities with other Christians or missing serving opportunities at your church, we got your priorities messed up. You got to switch that around. That takes sacrifice though, doesn't it? Definitely takes sacrifice. Perhaps the idol for you is your desire for a girlfriend or boyfriend or perhaps a girlfriend or boyfriend that you have right now and you're placing your uh, all of your energy, all of your time, all of your desire into that person instead of in worshiping and serving the Lord. That can take place of God. Maybe it's popularity at school or worldly desires, things that you want to pursue over God. Recognition. I mean, these all can be idols in your life that need to be repented of. You need to pursue the Lord. You need to put him above those things in your life. And why? Well, Jeremiah 2.13 tells us why. Jeremiah 2.13, write that down. It says this. For my people, Jeremiah, talking about the Israelites here, God, rather, is speaking, uh, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, so they've turned away from God, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So that not, not only were they trusting their own wisdom, but they were making idols of, of something. They were building their own cisterns. And these cisterns will, they won't hold any water. They'll drip out. So these idols, these things you're placing before God, they may seem nice and pretty on the surface. They may seem like, oh, I really desire this. I really want this. But they won't fulfill you. Right? Only God's going to do that. Going to leave you empty and broken. Well, how do I do that? You might be asking. What do I do to forsake idolatry and pursue God? We got to shift those priorities, right? We talked about that even with, with sports. You think, okay, I'm willing to shift my priorities to put God at the center of my life. Changing time and resources, changing who you hang out with, putting God at the center. Devotion to God through spiritual disciplines as well. The more you focus on, of course, your, your spiritual disciplines, you hear it all the time, Bible reading, prayer, you hear it all the time. If you're focusing on your spiritual disciplines, that takes a little bit of sacrifice. That takes uh, uh, you shifting your priorities and focusing on the important things that you need to do. Well, this faithfulness, it leads to you finding that good reputation we talked about in the text. It leads to you finding good reputation with God and the people all around you. Well, how does that work? Well, Proverbs 20, 28, Proverbs 20, 28 says, Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. And by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. So faithfulness, these things, you see the, this act of blessing on the king because he was faithful to God. 
Loyalty and faithfulness are characteristics of godliness. You got to put those in place in your life. Well, others will recognize that, right? They'll recognize that when you're obeying God, you're following God, you're faithful to God, that you have this competence and intelligence because it, it, when you're obeying God and you're following God, you're committed to things that are true and right and good. You're level-headed and reasonable because that's where the scriptures lead you to. You make wise decisions. You think through those decisions. So people see that and they want to uh, um, either be with you, hang out with you, or put you in positions of, uh, of leadership will lead you to be self-disciplined, right? And when you're self-disciplined, you're more reliable as a person. So being loyal to God and not putting idols before God leads to this blessing. Be more disciplined. When you think about discipline, you think about reliability, well, I mean, just think about your future. I mean, you think about job opportunities that come to you. You can think about promotional opportunities that can come to you because you're a reliable person. You think about responsibility that may come to you that wouldn't come to you if you weren't a responsible person, if you weren't a reliable person. Obeying God's commands leads to you being a disciplined person, which leads to these practical benefits. You have more integrity, right? People trust you. One thing that maybe you haven't experienced before, but when you stand firm in faith and you profess truth and you stand firm and you're not wavering, people actually respect that, right? You know, you'd think that, you know, when you're standing firm for God and you're standing up for truth, you know, people might hate you for that. They might not like that, but they respect the fact that you're unwavering in the face of hostility. We live in this culture, right? We live in this, this world where people will change on a dime what they believe. They'll, they'll listen to something or they'll, they'll hear, hear something on the news and it's like, it could be the exact opposite of what is true, but they're following it. Because their truth is grounded in things that just shake and they're wavering. But when you stand firm in the faith, people respect that. Whether they disagree with you or not. I mean, these characteristics that I'm describing here, these characteristics are their opposite of what the world thinks is good, right? The world's calling good, evil, and evil good. The world promotes selfishness, where the Bible says, no, be a a giving person, a caring person. Put other people before yourself. When you listen to the wisdom of the world, they celebrate what's unfaithful, infidelity, right? I mean, we see how many people are, are just deceived into thinking things that are untrue. They also condone dishonesty, right? (laughs) Yeah. This is not the way of what God says in Scripture. Back in our passage, we find a third and fourth command, and then, of course, a third and fourth blessing. I combine these last two because they're similar, in a sense. Let's look at it. Let's look at it a little closely. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Right? Trusting, believing, applying with all of your heart, your whole body, everything that you are, all facets of your mind and heart and everything. And do not lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, know him, believe him, follow him, and he will make straight your paths. God will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, right? Don't be prideful. Fear the Lord, which is another way of saying trust him, and turn away from evil. Repent from the wickedness that you're following and obeying. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When we see this idea, this concept of not trusting ourselves, but instead trusting God, putting all of our trust completely in God for everything. That's point number three. Trust God in everything. Experience less problems. Trust God in everything. Experience less problems. When you're trusting God in everything, you start living a more holy and God-glorifying life. I mean, you think about studying and examining God's word, flipping through these pages and trying to find ways that you can better trust God every single day instead of yourself. That transforms your mind to become more like Christ. You're seeking to grow in wisdom from your leaders, from your pastors, from your parents, right? That's trusting God in everything, that you're getting truth from people who know how to trust God probably better than, than you do. And it's helpful to seek their wisdom on these things. And of course, as the text says, it says, turn away from evil, right? Repent from sinful habits. Repent from sinful behaviors. Turn away from anything that's wicked in this world and pursue things that are righteous instead. Turn away from all of the, the bad behaviors and turn to good behaviors. Especially, I mean, if you're a Christian here today, we're commanded that the old is passed away, the new has come. Put off the old, put on the new. And you learn that by trusting God in everything, not yourself, not the world, not the world's wisdom, but your wisdom, or God's wisdom, rather. You commit to putting everything you learn into practice, right? So we talked about it's not just mentally assenting to the truth, it's also applying the truth. It's also doing what God has called us to do. When you're trusting God fully, you're not trusting your own wisdom. And that's the opposite here. Is we, we don't want to trust ourselves. We don't want to think uh, that we know better than God. Right? When you think, oh, well, hey, I know what's right. I know what's good. Well, but do you? Does it match up with what God says is right and good? When you make decisions, are you looking to Scripture to see, is this a wise decision or a bad decision? What you think is morally good, righteous or unrighteous? I mean, sometimes you can start justifying your sin because you're listening to yourself and not to what God says is good. You can start justifying the things that you're doing because... You think it's right. You think it's morally good. Or someone told you that it's right and morally good. But it's not what God says is right and good. You start trusting yourself. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Right? We've been talking about wisdom. We've been talking about foolishness and the contrast that we see all throughout the Proverbs. There's more hope for a fool than for him, the one who trusts in themselves, who's wise in their own eyes. Proverbs 28, 26. Proverbs 28, 26 says this. It says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, 
but he, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Walking in what's good, walking in what's true. You can't trust yourself. I'm give you a story about when I trusted myself, and it led to <laughs> some bad, some bad results. I was playing softball as an adult. In a softball league, it gets pretty intense. People, people get competitive, right? We were playing a really competitive team, but this, that wasn't the issue. The issue was me. It was my fault. Well, I hit a ball into the outfield, and I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to round first. I'm going to go to second. I'm going to turn this into a double. Well, as I'm running to second base, I'm thinking to myself, I should probably slide. Now, guys, I haven't slid into a base since I was like eight years old. And I thought in my mind, no, no, you got this, man, do it. Slide, you'll be just fine, you'll be good. Well, I did. I did, slid right into second base. And I was like, oh, that went well. You know, this is all within milliseconds, right? I was like, oh, that went really great. Tried to stand up, fell right to the ground. Why? Because my ankle snapped in half. I had my ankle go under me like this, right? And then I put my foot out, the cleat caught the dirt, and I rolled over the ankle. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to see a picture, I'll show you later. It was, it was gnarly. But I thought to myself, I can do this. I fully trusted myself. And guess what? I ran into all sorts of problems. I was in a cast for three months. I had to get surgery. They had to reset my ankle. It was, it was gnarly. So I couldn't walk for three months. Yeah, wasn't good. Don't trust yourself. When you trust God in everything, you experience less problems in your life. Right? If, I, if I didn't trust myself in that moment, it probably would have been way better. Now, I know that's a practical thing, not a spiritual thing, but the principle still stands. Look, don't trust in what you think is right and good, but trust in what God says is right and good. Experience less problems practically. What does that look like? What does that look like for you? Will you stop making foolish decisions? that affect your future when you're trusting in God, what God says is good, and what God says is true, instead of what you think is right, what you think is morally good. Like I was watching those videos. Have you seen those videos of people doing stupid things? Right, you go on YouTube, you just type in people doing stupid things, and like five million videos pop up, and they're all, it's a variety of stupidity. Like some people are just swinging really bad, and they just fall on the ground, and then there's other people that are like chucking couches off third-story buildings to see if their buddy will catch it. Right? There's a degree of stupidity that happens in these videos. Right? There's a degree of foolishness because they think, oh, I, I got this. I trust in this. I'm going to be good. They're foolish decisions. But when you're trusting in God, when you're trusting in what God's word says, you at least make less of those stupid decisions in your life. A lot less of those foolish decisions in your life. Those foolish decisions that affect your future, that affect your life in the future. And you start making the right decisions. You also start hanging out with the right people. Right? I've talked about that a little bit, but you start picking, being more decisive with the people that you hang out with. Are they good influences to my life? Are they bad influences to my life? Do they line up with a friend that I want to be lined up with? Are they living for God and not for themselves? And also your behavior conforms to righteousness and not wickedness, right? I mean, when you're, when you're walking in righteousness, you can just imagine the practical implications of that in your life. You have more joy, so even when you face a trial or a problem in your life, it's not even a problem because you're joyful. 
because you're walking in, in righteousness and what God says is good. You're not trusting yourself, but you're trusting God. You feel more fulfilled in your life because you've gotten rid of idols in your life and instead you've put your trust and your faith in God and you're being fulfilled by things that God says is good. Serving other people, caring about the needs of other people, worshiping the Lord, being at church, being involved. You become more fulfilled. You experience less of those problems later in life. You don't break those relationships that you have, friendships that are good. Because if you're walking in righteousness, you're trusting in God and not yourself, you're, you're a better friend to people. So you don't have any of these social problems that come up. You don't, have, you, you don't have any arguments with your friends when you're trusting God, not yourself. Experience less problems when you're trusting God. Now, I know I didn't get too deep into this, but this is not some type of quid pro quo, right, manipulation tactic on God. You do this, you do this good thing, and God's going to bless you, right? That's, again, I'm repeating myself. I don't want you to think that. I want you to walk away from this sermon not thinking that because that's not always the case, right? We, even you know, like, I mean, God tells us in James 1 that trials are meant to benefit our, our, our faith, to grow our faith. So it's not like you're going to walk out of here as a Christian and never have an issue, never have a problem, or never hurt or have pain in your life. That's not what we're getting at here. But it is to say that if you follow the Lord and you trust him completely, you have a much better life, a more fulfilled life, a more joyful life. And that's my prayer for you, to obey God, be loyal to God, trust God, so that when you walk out of here, you have a full understanding that trusting God and living your life according to his rules is in fact better for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your text. I think sometimes we, we read this in our conservative theology and we think to ourselves, is this true? Of course it is, God. You're a good God. You desire good things for your people. I'm so thankful to you for that. I'm so thankful to you for the blessings that you pour down on us. And I'm thankful, God, that we can go to your word and find how we can better trust you on a daily basis. How we can submit fully our trust to you, God. I pray that each one of these students, as they go out into their week, that they practically can see the, the benefits of fully trusting you. Thank you, God. Thank you for your text. Thank you for the wise words from this proverb. We're grateful to you for it. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.